Hi, I'm Bill Furlong, and along with my colleague, Dr. Mary Crossan, we co-host the podcast, Question of Character, where we answer all of your questions about the Ivy Leader Character Framework. We would like to welcome you to our third episode, and we are delighted you are joining us. As a reminder, if this is your first exposure to the Leader Character Framework, we would strongly recommend you go back to episodes one and two of this podcast, where you'll get all the foundational knowledge and information that will help you get more from, uh, better understanding and more value out of this, our third podcast. I would now like to introduce you to my co-host. She is a distinguished university professor, their highest honor at Western University. She teaches at the Ivy Business School in London, Ontario, Canada. Her research has been widely published in the world's most prestigious business academic journals. She is the author of several books, including Developing Leadership Character. She is Dr. Mary Crossan. Welcome, Mary. So good to see you again. Good to see you too, Bill. Good to be here. So, Mary, I think this is another one. Or this is a foundational podcast, I think, for us. Uh, we're going to talk today about the interplay between context and character and why character matters so much uh, in terms of dealing with different kinds of contexts. The impact of context on our decision-making is really well documented. Uh, I'm looking at a quote here. People's behavior is profoundly influenced by the situations they, they perceive themselves to be in. And there are so many numerous examples of that, of that happening. To people that are involved in politics, uh, to organizations, in small groups. And a lot of the times the examples that we sort of call to mind are actually quite negative. Uh, good people doing bad things, if you will. And that actually is going to be an episode in its own right uh, later on. And oftentimes when we hear about or see those examples, people think, well, that would never happen to me. You know, I would act differently. But I think the research really shows is that all of us are susceptible to context uh, and that we should never grow complacent uh, around that. But there's also lots of positive examples of, of context influencing people in good ways. And Mary, I think you've got an example with an NHL team you had worked with um, and uh, some of the work you've been doing around character and context. Could you share that example with us? Yeah, it was uh, working with the team. They were reflecting on the relationship between character and when they had won uh, the Stanley Cup, which is the top uh, award in hockey. And they said... There was such character in the room that uh, they, they said, essentially, if you brought a criminal into the room to join that team, they would have become a really a good person of character simply because the character contagion on the team. And Bill, of course, we saw a lot of that as we talked in our episode last uh, time as well, where we, we, we talked about the importance of character contagion. So that's a great example. Um, another example, and, and part of that, I think, is understanding um, our impact on context is not only necessarily the character contagion of where a positive environment influences us, but it's also in reverse, where we ourselves as an individual can make a significant difference to the, to the environment that we're in. And we'd seen that last time in episode two uh, where Nelson Mandela had challenged the Sports Authority decision-making to ban the Springboks, their name and their colors. Mandela intervened, ended up changing the vote, uh, but that was a single person that was able to change, uh, to change a decision based upon the strength of their own character. Is that fair? That's, that's right, and what we saw there was 
how he was activating on the character within others to be able to activate those dimensions of character. And it reminds us that there's a lot of good that exists with in each of us, a lot of strength of character. Sometimes we, we, we simply need to have ourselves reminded of that, which is hopefully what we get to do in these podcasts. Perfect. So um, I'm hoping today we can demonstrate one, how character can resist adverse context, and two, how character can positively shape the context that we find ourselves in. Uh, and that as we demonstrate that, what it does is it makes character development extremely valuable. And it's really why we'd want to listen in today. So Mary, the place where I thought we'd start is what are some examples of how context can affect and have an, have an impact or an effect on people's behaviors? I think, Bill, we often in organizations think that these issues of context are things like our compensation systems or reward systems, et cetera. And whereas the literature would show there are actually broader forces at play, and this is what we want to focus on here, is that these forces that exist, like we talked uh, last episode about social comparison um, and, and simply having all of these ways in which we compare ourselves that I mean that gets amplified by things like let's say a compensation system but it's not the compensation system that's the problem in the organization it's the social comparison that we deal with that is the larger uh, sociological force that's out there and we we suffer them within organizations because of our inability to be able to deal with something like that uh, we we talked in the last episode about the fact that in a lot of ways, it's it's we want to aspire to certain things, but our problems lie in what happens when we don't get them and how we deal with them and the strength of character required to be able to to deal with that. But there are other forces like social conformity, which is not simply that we compare ourselves, but we actually have a, a desire to conform. It is so hard to be different from others. There's a, a innate a, a desire to want to belong uh, and therefore being different uh, than somebody else in opinion or perspective is a really difficult thing to do. Of course, as we talk about, it takes strength of character to be able to stand in the midst of a variety of different perspectives and still hold your own. Uh, there are other forces, Bill, I think we can all relate to. Time pressure, big one. Uh, it time seems to rob us, uh, uh, rob us often of our best self. Sometimes it brings out our best self, but in many cases, under time pressure, uh, we lose. Uh, we don't have the temperance to have the patience or calm to work through that. We lose some of our cognitive ability uh, to deal with the issues. We become stressed out. Uh, we we can't act on the transcendence that we may have. We lose the humanity that we may have had in previous uh, situations, but under time pressure, uh, we, we don't have that kind of ability to call on the humanity that we need. So lots of studies uh, around time pressure. And then Bill, I think one that yeah, you've come to find very interesting is, is around money priming. And it's simply the symbolic nature of currency and the proximity of a task uh, changes how it is that we interact we become more self-interested. We need more social distance. And I think in the financial services in particular, where uh, money priming is, is really quite prevalent, we have to take into account that these big forces are at play affecting 
who we are in every moment. Well, I, I mean, I love the work on social priming and um, you and I have given, we've written a fair bit and uh, we've also given lots of presentations to people, you know, both organizations and regulators that are engaged in that field. And um, having worked in the field for a long time, you can very much see the impact that just being immersed in money in all its forms um, and um, how that starts to change people's uh, perceptions and behaviors. And I think it's one of the reasons, uh, at least that I've come to conclude, why issues around misconduct and culture have been such a vexing and persistent issue for, that, uh, for the financial sector. Uh, that you really don't see in other areas because I think they really are subject to this sort of intense money priming uh, context. The other part too, which is really interesting, Mary, the two other comments I wanted to make. One was, is you know, at the very top, you talked about how organizations, their, their contexts are really within the larger context of the society. I think sometimes we think, you know, organizational contexts and cultures are discrete from the societal cultures and, and contexts, and that's, they're not, they're quite related. And then sometimes these different systems that we can put into place actually exacerbate uh, um, some of the issues that are in the society itself. And the second thought is, is around the bystander effect uh, and that the bystander effect really is this thought that, you know, we, maybe we don't have as much impact on the environment. And that's why we actually stand aside when again, going back to sort of, you know, we started talking about at the top of the show is you have potentially so much potential impact on your context and that uh, you typically tend to underestimate that and I think that underestimation I think is what sort of is one of the drivers behind the bystander effect in its own right. Yeah Bill I think that's that's quite right and uh, to summarize a little bit about this relationship between context and we often call the agent the person who's in the midst of this uh, I've often thought about context like a heavyweight boxer coming into the ring and we are like featherweight so we're always going to get knocked out by context. And, and the idea about strengthening character is to actually build yourself into a position that you can withstand those contextual forces, many of which we are not even aware have that kind of influence upon us. That's right, because it's like a heavyweight boxer that you can't see, right? Uh, or you can only see part of it. You think about some of these impacts of money priming, and they are so subtle uh, and so almost insidious and they take a long time and they accumulate. So again, that heavyweight boxer uh, analogy is a good one, but I, I think it, it's a one that's, that really is almost invisible to you. So um, now one of the things from a leader character perspective, when, t when, when context enters into it and starts to change your behaviors, just looking at that from a leader character lens, what's, what's, what insights, what's going on here when you look at that from a leader character, through a leader character lens? Well, I think what we pick up is that uh, character, all of those dimensions of character, the 11 that we've talked about, are like muscles of the body. And that when they're not strong enough, if you put pressure, uh, as it would happen if you put pressure on the body, you try to lift something that's heavier than you can lift, uh, you, you, you simply can't do it. Uh, you, you injure yourself, you hurt yourself. In the case of character, I think we've underestimated the strength required of all of these 11 dimensions of character to be able to navigate in what is really a complex world. And Bill, I would add that um, this is certainly more challenging than, for example, when I grew up my formative years, 
where you're dealing with social media 24-7, the stimuli that affect us each and every day are absolutely significant. And if you think then, well, what is the character that you need to navigate that that space on a 24-7 basis a lot more than we currently have. One of the things when organizations and individuals and other places, institutions try and deal with context is um, and, and to kind of get the behaviors that they want is they, they, they create a mission statement and a strategy statement and value statements. And you go to any large organization and even smaller ones and on the wall you'll say, these are our values, this is what we stand for. Um, isn't that going to be enough? Because that's really what a lot of organizations, they kind of stop there. Isn't that enough? Well, it's, it's an important starting point, but it is far from enough. Unfortunately, uh, people feel that if we state it, we're going to get it. And as we talked in the prior episode, that's like telling somebody they've got an aspiration to run a marathon and just go and do it. You actually have to train for it. So if you value integrity or you value excellence or you value customer service, you, you value collaboration, they're all values. It's a very interesting in these cases, they are uh, dimensions of character. Also pick up that you run the risk when you have these values that what you think is going to be a virtuous behavior is actually gonna operate like a vice. So you can value things like excellence and integrity, but if you're not valuing humility and humanity, you may find yourself dealing with very, you know, rigid, dogmatic uh, uh, behavior in organizations, and it wasn't really the desired outcome. Uh, Bill, I think though it's really important. We, we say you, you don't want to mess with the values or mission of an organization. Those things are really important. What we pick up around character is it's simply that foundational element regardless of the values that you have or the mission that you have, which is going to cultivate the strength of character in the individuals so that they can actually live those values. Right, okay. Now, another approach to dealing with what I would characterize as, I don't know, maybe misconduct or unwanted behaviors has been the idea of regulators or rules and regulations, you know, policies and procedures. And they serve as like guardrails. And in some cases around, for example, as a former regulator, we would have various enforcement powers. Um, you know, has that been effective in terms of, of kind of managing people's behaviors as well? Rules and regulations, again, necessary but not sufficient. And here's the danger point. Lots of studies revealing that the more you're putting in regulations to try to solve the next problem, you have uh, pushing people into operating within the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Uh, we've had uh, Andy Fasto, former CEO of Enron, speak about this, uh, where he says, you know, in the end, it was my job to be able to operate within the spirit of the law, whereas what we were trying to do was uh, uh, manipulate and figure out how we were going to you know, operate within the letter of the law. I think, Bill, the other issue around rules and regulations is something called practical drift. Uh, for those interested in learning more about that, I think uh, Scott Snook's book, uh, Friendly Fire, the Accidental Shootdown of the Black Hawk Helicopters over Iraq, paint a very, very vi vivid picture of what happens when rules build up in organizations and essentially it becomes impractical to be able to operate within that rule set. So there's a practical drift 
uh, away from it. Of course, that drift continues to occur until there's some kind of disaster. Uh, the 2008 economic crisis is a tremendous example of the practical drift that occurred in a lot of rules and regulations. And, and these things go undetected for a, a long period of time. The risk for individuals and within organizations is we continue to operate as if those rules were in place when in fact we've already drifted and uh, away from what those rules are. So those are a couple of real important caveats, Bill, about rules and regulations. Right. They seem to be able to, maybe what they do is they define the lower end of what's acceptable, uh, but they certainly don't necessarily drive that. They can drive these unintended outcomes. And to the extent you're actually looking not for the lowest standard of behavior, but for the highest, rules and regulations just don't really deliver that kind of outcome. We will uh, put in the uh, podcast notes uh, a link to Scott Snook's book. It's a great book. I've read it, and uh, it's, it really is very interesting reading. So, Mary, the, over, the evidence now is overwhelming, uh, right? That context has this massive, although often uh, imperceptible, impact on our behaviors. So how can character really then look to operate to, first of all, resist that, uh, and then secondly, um, positively impact the context that we're operating in. And I'd like to sort of start with, say, an example of, um, of an individual, how they can resist uh, adverse context and potentially not only risk adverse context, but at the same time positively impact that context too. Bill, I think a great example is uh, Jackie Robinson who was the first African-American in Major League uh, Baseball in 1947. And his story is captured in the movie 42. Uh, again, I like these examples where you can go to a movie, you can see some of the, the factual account as, as to what went on. What I like particularly about the Jackie Robinson story is that clearly the uh, systemic uh, racial discrimination that he was facing was uh, extensive at that period of time, uh, which is readily portrayed in the movie. And clearly there are injustices. And if you think about these dimensions of character, he knows there are injustices. And, and think about the, the, the temperance that's required, the patient, the calm, the self-regulation to manage in the midst of that, the humanity required to understand where is the hatred and diversity coming from, but also the accountability to know that things will never change if he's not taking those positive steps forward. The transcendence to believe that it's possible, the courage, the drive to be able to do that, the integrity that he exhibits throughout to maintain who he is in the midst of the tremendous um, a pressure that he receives initially from his teammates, uh, not just fans and, and others, uh, uh, other teams that they play. Uh, but I think you, you watch through that entire film and it's undeniable uh, to see the strength of character that's required to be able to navigate that uh, really challenging context that he's in. And, and what he had done changed the world, right? Uh, it changed not just, to say that it just changed Major League Baseball would be to, is, is, is a gross understatement. It changed the, the society and the culture in, uh, in the United States and, and really the entire world. And that's, just, again, the actions of, of one person as they begin to, to exercise their character. 
What I love, Mary, about using movies and like be it either Invictus uh, or in the movie 42 is, you know, without knowing anything about leadership character, you, you, you see a movie like that and then you finish it and you kind of, what a, now that was incredible. What an incredible story. And then you think to yourself, I wish I was more like that. And then you try to imagine how you might be more like that because you're so inspired by that person. When you look at those movies, though, from a leader character framework, you still get that sense of inspiration. But when you've got that leader character lens to look at it through, you actually start to understand why it is, what dimensions of their character that they had to draw upon. And then you think to yourself, oh, okay, that's, that's, you know, those are the same kinds of dimensions that I would need to draw on. And then with some degree of self-reflection, maybe I need to have more bravery, or maybe I need to have more humility or more temperance. And now you can actually, as opposed to just wishing that you were more like Jackie Robinson or Nelson Mandela, you can actually start to almost, <laughs> in a way, create a bit of a roadmap as to how to get more like them in the ways that they used to overcome the challenges. And that, again, to me, is the essential value of what the leader character framework brings. It's beyond aspirational. It actually becomes something which is uh, prov pro provides this uh, um, provides this approach, I guess, and this way of thinking about character that can cause you to truly make change in your own life. Is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement, and in the in the same way we can learn from those uh, individuals, we want to recognize with character we will be our own individual. It's our own individuality and it's our own story as we go through that. And we, we wanna think about who we are becoming while we're busy doing. And as we also saw in the last episode, is that your ability to articulate that to others and for others to understand the story that, that has made you who you are, um, for you to understand that for, for yourself. As an example for me, Bill, you know, growing up uh, in a household, I have eight brothers and sisters. My grandmother lived with us. Other people lived with us over a period of time. I can really point to those experiences, life experiences, and how it affects my humanity and my collaboration. You know, sharing a room with two sisters for uh, a good part of my life. Yeah, yeah. You certainly learn a lot about yourself. And I mean, that's just one micro example, my, part of my story and we all have these bits that we can help others understand, well, where are we coming from and what was our journey uh, uh, of development looking like? Right. But, and so to, but to add to that is, is that the leader character framework, when you sit and reflect on that and you think about those experiences, the character framework actually gives you a way of, 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 of understanding that better. So... Um, you know, in the absence of that framework, you might say, well, I lived with, uh, I, you know, I shared a, a room with, with two siblings and that taught me the value of sharing or it taught me the value of, of other things, you know, almost like a moral code. But when you look at it from the character framework, you see it, I think you see it more, more, more accurately and with more depth. And so, okay, that taught me something about humility. It taught me something about collaboration. It taught me something about uh, temperance. And, and I think that depth and that understanding creates a, a deeper self-awareness around yourself uh, that I find, me personally, I find that extremely useful. Another example, Mary, is um, around an individual resisting adverse context is uh, Cynthia Cooper, 
who uh, used to work at, uh, who worked at WorldCom. Uh, she's written a book called, the Extra- it's called Extraordinary Circumstances, The Journey of a Corporate Whistleblower. And maybe someday we'll do an episode with Cynthia. I'd met her uh, at a conference that I had uh, presented at last year. She, or she and I were on the same panel. It was uh, a joint IVCPA idea form in Toronto. And the panel was called Whistleblowing CPAs and Leadership in the 21st Century. And uh, Cynthia had been VP of Internal Audit at WorldCom and, and in 2002 unearthed a $3.8 billion accounting fraud, which I think at the time was the largest accounting fraud uh, to date. At the conference, um, Cynthia was a very engaging speaker. Uh, she had a, a, a way of approaching the audience, interacting with an audience of about 200 to 250 people in a way that made them feel like, you know, they were there and they were in, the, in her shoes and, and, and what would they do? Bringing this very harrowing experience to life. And you got the sense that not only did Cynthia have an enormous amount of courage to, to, to raise this issue, bear in mind that the time WorldCom was a high-flying uh, uh, corporation. It was the largest and I think only Fortune 500 employer in the in the reasonably sized middle-sized city that she worked in. Um, had an enormous amount of status in its community, and she was going to blow the whistle on them. That could mean the end of all of that. So an enormous amount of courage. But not only that, the courage, but also this judgment, which again is at the core of leader character the judgment to navigate what was a really complex and somewhat ambiguous situation. Stakes were extremely high, not just for her personally and professionally, for the you know her neighbors and the town that she worked in and the shareholders and the pensioners. I mean, everybody had a stake in this. Um, and they were also extremely high stakes and she was largely alone. And so the amount of character and judgment that she needed to bring to bear to navigate that, that, that complex circumstance in real time was very impressive. And it's an example of character going beyond the moral, what should I do here? Should I blow the whistle or not? Which is in many cases a moral situation to going beyond that to what's the judgment that I now need to to take? What are the judgments I now need to make and the actions I need to take? And do I have the strength of character to undertake both to navigate what was really a very difficult situation? And again, the impact of her her judgments and her character reverberated far beyond uh, who you know who she was and what she had done and the, and the job that she had. And again, just one person. So Mary, let's talk a little bit about some examples of how character can positively impact um, an environment or a, or a context. And I think you've got a number of examples and, and one I think that might stand out is, is the work that's going on at the Canadian Revenue Agency. Yeah, a Canada Revenue Agency, it's been several years now where they have embraced uh, leader character. And I'd like to take it back and, and talk a little bit about how an individual situated within an organization can really, I would say often it's off the corner of your desk, uh, try to figure out how you can move the agenda forward. So even though you may be thinking about, well, how do I develop my own character? You may also be simultaneously thinking about how can we leverage that kind of idea throughout an organization? So I'm going to give you the example of uh, Sonia Cote at CRA, Canada Revenue Agency. And when I, I, I single out Sonia at the beginning, 
there were, there's a cadre of people around Sonia. I think we know this. This stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum, but uh, I think it's often helpful just to think about what does it feel like to be that one person in, in, in the midst of, of a lot of this. And in the case of Sonia, the uh, board of management that would have oversight uh, over CRA had asked the question, how do you know you're hiring the right people? And of course, that was her area of responsibility. How do I know I'm hiring the right leaders, in fact, specifically? And, and she felt they'd been doing a great job. Of course, the, on the competency side of things, good framework, uh, ways of understanding processes in place to hire. Yet there was something that bothered her that might have been missing, when wondering what is it that they may not be capturing? And when she saw the leader character work, it became pretty clear to her that this aspect of character, elevating character alongside competence, was an area they needed to explore in terms of their leadership selection. And today, that is uh, already implemented within CRA. So working through Sonia, through the rest of the, her team about this, pilot work, work within the organization. We've now written an article about this that uh, will make sure that that link is available in organizational dynamics that uses the case study of CRA to describe how it is you can elevate character alongside competence. And Bill, I think it's a great example of thinking about the leverage of an individual. And of course, that's cascading uh, throughout uh, her entire team as well. And and so and again recognizing that it occurs within a team and and Sonia's had many uh, people helping facilitate and support her in that regard but it's gone from the corner of her desk Mary and and how far has it now what's how have the dominoes fallen since then well I think one of the telling pieces is that they ended up hiring or creating a position director of character leadership and uh, reporting now to uh, Steve Virgin uh, who's a, a, another co-author on that article. And Steve now also has a dedicated team where they're working throughout uh, CRA. The domino effect though goes beyond CRA because other organizations wanna see what they've done. They wanna see what it looks like when you've Im implemented character leadership and uh, they have been generous in their sharing of their insights with all sorts of other organizations, Bill. So since uh, Steve and his team have been working, we've had this uh, global pandemic and that you know the organization has been called upon in some very stressful times to take on some very big responsibilities. Are there any indications yet how the strength in character has helped them deal with some of the challenges uh, that as an organization? So that's one thing uh, they and every other organization that works in character leadership really wants to have an evidence-based approach as to how is this working and what's going on. So. I can only tell you that in response to the pandemic, CRA was leaned on heavily uh, to be able to administer large sums of money very, very swiftly to the Canadian public. And there was a responsiveness that occurred that when I, I talked to the colleagues I have at CRA about was the spirit of character, elevating character alongside competence evident in, in the work that was being done. And it was pretty clear to them that, that that was the case. But of course, for them, they're looking for all sorts of other evidence-based uh, work on how they're going to measure the success of the various programs they've put in place. And if I'm not mistaken, they've recently been a, made, won some sort of a leadership award as well. 
Um, anything you can talk about there? Uh, Bill, I don't have a lot of information yet about that award. It's, it's really recent. Uh, it was, I think, uh, awarded last week. But I do know that for them, it was the highest honor in the public service to have received such award. And uh, judging from their uh, pride and delight, I think, in receiving it, uh, it, it speaks volumes to really probably how important that award is. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that. I'm sure in future episodes, we'll get uh, Steve and Sonia on board talking about it. Perfect. So uh, maybe it's a time to summarize, Mary, uh, the episode. We've seen a number of examples how strength of character can not only resist adverse context, uh, but, in, but not only that, but also uh, you know, positively shape context and oftentimes in the, same, in the same moment. And then have these often unintended, uh, unexpected domino kind of results, these compounding uh, accretive uh, positive actions that occur. So Jackie Robinson, Cynthia Cooper, uh, Sonia Cote, and I'm sure Sonia Cote will be delighted to be included in that group, uh, have made such an impact uh, by virtue of the strength of their character and, and the decisions uh, and the actions that they've decided to make. Going back again to the idea of never underestimate the change that you as an individual can make and how your character has such a big influence on that. And today we've talked about many of the good examples. Um, we always need to be aware, though, I think, of, of the bad examples, either uh, the, you know, the exertion of, of poor character on a situation, which has this sort of leveraging down effect, making outcomes worse, or almost sometimes just as bad, this idea of the bystander, of, of not recognizing the power and the potential of your own actions, your own character-driven actions, to, uh, to make a situation that much better. Again, meaning that character has such, such enormous potential uh, in terms of the impact on situations. Uh, positive character make outcomes in, uh, so much better. Uh, the absence of character or, or, the, or, or the negative bad character uh, can actually make situations much, much worse. Uh, so it holds out this pot enormous potential, I think, to make the world such a better place. And I think in some ways, the idea of context, you know, being this invisible force that you can't really overcome or, or you're, 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 you're almost uh, fated, uh, if you will, to, to be subject to is really turned on its head. It really is a, a big challenge to that, to that particular uh, fatalistic worldview. So Mary, anything else to add around this particular episode? Bill, I think really reinforcing the point back to this uh, invisible heavyweight boxer. The context is really ch much more challenging than we thought. Uh, there's a quote by Voltaire, a round character, that very few people are able to ri rise above the ideas of their times, is a haunting one to me. It, it, it's that, to your point that you made, you're captive to the context. And we know with the development of character, course, this becomes our future episodes, that we are not captive to context. We have this ability to shape that. And I'm, I would like to just finish with a quote that we often speak about. Be mindful of your thoughts, for they become your words. Be mindful of your words, they become your actions. Be mindful of your actions, it becomes habit. Be mindful of your habit, it becomes your character. Be mindful of your character, it becomes your destiny. And I think, Bill, that takes us back to 
these, this responsibility that we have in the development of character because it actually cycles, if you picture that quote, it cycles back through. With the development of character, it lives in every single moment around our thoughts, our words, our actions, our habits. And that that's what we're looking at transforming day in and day out to be able to deal with that context that we know that is ever so challenging. Well, Mary, that's just a brilliant segue into a preview for our next episode. Uh, If strength of character is this thing that can resist adverse contexts, positively shape contexts, then clearly what we need to do is we need to strengthen character in all of us. Uh, to get these, uh, to get this powerful impact that we that we can achieve, and the question we get all the time, Mary, is can you really change character? Isn't it just something that you're born with? Isn't it like your personality, or or, or uh, like like just something you're born with, like your eye color or or your hair color? And by the time you reach adolescence, it's basically set. Um, when the next episode, we're going to talk about lots of not only anecdotal, but also behavioral science evidence to support the idea that character can change. Um, it really is rooted in the habits that we have each day and, and that we take. And just you talking about in terms of that quote. And if we have the power to make this enormous impact, we have the responsibility to develop that that power in terms of our character. And again, I'm really looking forward to that episode, Mary. I think there's so much there in terms of of the potential impact that can people can make in terms of their own lives the idea of taking control back from from a context which sometimes is quite negative um, and then imagining the positive implications and impact that that can have on on your professional life on your personal life on your communities and in particular and ultimately uh, on your well on your well-being the mind really truly boggles so uh, thanks you again uh, for joining us today. Uh, if you liked what you heard and saw today, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you really liked what you heard and saw today, uh, please consider subscribing to our podcast, Question of Character. We also have a website, questionofcharacter.com, where we'll be hosting this episode and various articles and resources, and in particular, any links to diagrams, schematics, or other items that were referred to in today's podcast. It's also a place where you can send us your comments, your thoughts on today's episode, and any suggestions or questions that you might have for future episodes. We will also post links to the Ian O. Inatowitz Institute for Leadership at the Ivy Business School, where there are even more resources, articles, and information about the Ivy Leader Character Framework. So thank you again, and it's goodbye from me. See you soon. Thanks. Bye.